This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor's promising to appeal the latest ruling in the state's lawsuit to force the CDC to back off on health and safety guidelines for cruise ships. The 11th Circuit didn't rule against us. They just said that the ruling can be stayed. Um, it was a two to one vote. And honestly, I mean, you know, these panels are what they are. So we are absolutely going to pursue uh, the, to get the stay removed. The governor has already signed a new state law prohibiting businesses like cruise lines from requiring proof of vaccination from their customers. And he says there is a reason why so many people will not get their shots. I do not agree with some of these people, some of these quote unquote experts who lambast people and, and, and criticize them uh, or say they're stupid or something. That's not the way to reach folks, okay? Um, so that's one of the reasons why I always said no mandates. The head of the Department of Environmental Protection is in the Tampa Bay area today, meeting with local officials dealing with a massive fish kill. I think it's important to make sure they know that they have a connection to the highest level of the department to make sure there are no unanswered questions. We've been involved since day one securing funding avenues and we'll continue to do that. A celebration of the newly approved Florida Wildlife Corridor Act. It was championed by National Geographic photographer Carlton Ward. And through this Florida Wildlife Corridor Act, through this framework, we will be the national and global example of what's possible for nature and economies together. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man sentenced to eight months in prison for his role in the Capitol coup on Insurrection Day. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, July 20th. This is World Jump Day, International Chess Day, National Lollipop Day, and National Moon Day. On this date in 1944, Adolf Hitler survived an assassination attempt led by German Army officer Klaus von Stauffenberg. In 1968, Jane Asher broke off her engagement with Paul McCartney on live TV. In 1969, Apollo 11's lunar module carrying Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon. They walked on the moon seven hours later while Michael Collins remained in orbit. In 1976, Atlanta's Hammer and Hank Aaron hit his 755th and final home run. And on this date in 1977, the Central Intelligence Agency was forced to reveal it engaged in mind control experiments in a program called MKUltra. One of their unwitting subjects was a brilliant Harvard student named Theodore Kaczynski, who was subjected to several years of interrogations designed to break him psychologically. And that, my friend, is how the CIA created the Unabomber. Governor Ron DeSantis is going back to court in his quest to get cruise ships sailing again. The state sued the CDC, claiming the feds have overstepped their authority by requiring passengers to be vaccinated against COVID-19. He won the first round, but the federal appeals court in Atlanta has blocked that decision, and DeSantis wants all of the judges who serve on the appeals court to reconsider the issue. The 11th Circuit didn't rule against us. They just said that the ruling can be stayed. Um, it was a two to one vote. And honestly, I mean, you know, these panels are what they are. So we are absolutely going to pursue uh, the, to get the stay removed, either at the full 11th Circuit or at the U.S. Supreme Court. I think probably to the full 11th Circuit on Bonk, we'll probably try to do that. And I think that most courts at this point have had their limit 
with the CDC issuing these dictates without a firm statutory basis. So I'm confident that we'd win on the merits at the full 11th Circuit. And honestly, I'm confident we'd win at the U.S. Supreme Court. They just basically said that five justices effectively said that the moratorium on evictions exceeded CDC's authority. And I think you'd end up seeing this here. But I think it raised the, one of the reasons why we did it was not, it's an important industry for our state. We're committed to, to, to that. But it raises a bigger question. Can you just have one agency in the government without Congress ever passing a law, just basically shutting down an industry? Maybe you don't care about the cruise industry, but next next time it might be your industry. Next time it may affect people that, that you know or people that depend on this for their livelihood. The legal battle at the appeals court comes as Florida tries to block a separate lawsuit filed last week by Norwegian Cruise Lines. The company is challenging that law championed by DeSantis that prevents businesses from requiring their customers to show proof of vaccination. The governor's been accused of contributing to the phenomenon known as vaccine hesitancy by eliminating COVID safety measures and telling people it's safe to go about your normal life during a surge of COVID cases. But DeSantis says don't blame him. He points the finger of blame at what he calls the experts. We have to be careful in terms of some of the messaging for folks that, that may be skeptical about the vaccine. I do not agree with some of these people, some of these quote unquote experts who lambast people and, and, and criticize them uh, or say they're stupid or something. That's not the way to reach folks, okay? Um, so that's one of the reasons why I always said no mandates. Because I think, honestly, I don't believe in mandates, but I don't even think it would be productive to do that. Uh, and so the folks who wanted it, the seniors, we worked hard to get it. Everyone who's wanted it obviously can get it. Now you're in a situation where you have folks who may be skeptical of it. Uh, and so understand if you're communicating, uh, you don't want to say things that are going to cause them to retreat even further. And I'm sorry, there's been a lot of misinformation and a lot of bad advice that's been given by some of these experts over the last year. These people saw all that. They remember all this stuff. So I would say just, you know, have a little humility when you're trying to carry that message. You know, understand that there's some people that, that may have uh, qualms. Uh, and, and what I try to do is just present the data. And if I thought the data didn't justify, then I would say that and I would be completely honest. But I think us going in doing seniors first like we did, I absolutely believe that saved lives. I think it saved thousands of lives. Um, had we not done that, there would have been more seniors exposed. Um, and even some of the seniors that did get infected, I think their illness would have been much more severe than it was because they had that protection. So I think the, the benefits have been clear, you know, in the state of Florida for those who have done it. Florida is now responsible for more than 20% of the new COVID cases reported in America, but DeSantis says don't blame him for the surge. He doesn't even use the word surge. He says the spike in cases is a seasonal fluctuation. I told people months ago we would see higher prevalence because it's a seasonal virus and this is the seasonal pattern that it, fo that it follows in the Sunbelt states, particularly uh, in Florida. Uh, if you are vaccinated though, the number of people that end up hospitalized after is almost zero. It's incredibly, incredibly low. So I think there's some misinformation out there where someone will say, oh, these people were vaccinated and they tested positive. Understand, a positive test is not a clinical diagnosis of illness. And so if you're vaccinated and you test positive, but you don't get sick, well, the name of the game is to keep people out of the hospital. And I think that the folks that have done that, and we're proud of our seniors first strategy, we've done about 85% of our seniors in Florida have gotten shots. You know, I think the data is increasingly clear 
uh, that if you have been vaccinated or if you've recovered from COVID because you are immune in that respect too, uh, the chance of you being hospitalized or dying is very, very low. You know, these things have a pattern. Uh, we saw the pattern uh, last summer. It's similar. I think it started a little later. Uh, and so people should just be prepared for that. Uh, and as we get into the next month, the August and stuff, I think you'll start to see it see it go in a different direction. But that's just uh, the way this thing is done. It's, it's, it's had a pretty consistent life cycle. Uh, and there's certain parts of the country that have that have certain seasonal and so this is it but the folks that are out there 75 percent of floridians over the age of 50 have gotten shots and so we think that that's really really positive while the governor prefers to talk about vaccination rates for older people the overall numbers are far less impressive florida ranks 25th in the nation with almost 48 percent of the population fully vaccinated Department of Environmental Protection Secretary Sean Hamilton will be in the Tampa Bay area today to address the red tide outbreak tied to massive fish kills. There's a lot of direct coordination that's happening with those who are on the front lines, um, and we'll continue to do that. I think it's important to make sure they know that they have a connection to the highest level of the department to make sure there are no unanswered questions. We've been involved since day one, securing funding avenues, and we'll continue to do that. I'll head down there this week, and you should expect a heavy presence to make sure the coordination continues and make sure they understand that we're there for them today and tomorrow. Officials in Pinellas County want the governor to declare a state of emergency to deal with the red tide outbreak. He has not done that, but DeSantis does say the state is helping to clean up all the dead fish. And we actually created a separate fund to be able to respond in real time to things like blue-green algae and red tide. And so we have that, that pot of money. Uh, we're using it and we're helping it, uh, both Pinellas and Hillsborough counties as it needs. And we're gonna continue to do that. Obviously red tide is naturally occurring, but if you have, uh, if you have fish or some of that and you clean it up quicker, uh, I think a lot of the scientists believe that that, that prevents uh, the red tide from getting worse or at least mi mitigates. So we definitely want to do that and we'll continue to do it. You know, the fishermen, they go out there. I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal, especially how intense it is in some of those areas. And then it has obviously impact on, on local economy and all that stuff. This is why we got that money in the first place, because we want to be able to respond uh, with, with, uh, with full force. And so we're doing that. Red tide happens when microscopic algae get too many nutrients from septic tanks, stormwater runoff, and fertilizer. Environmentalists also suspect the Tampa Bay outbreak was accelerated by more than 170 million gallons of contaminated water released into the bay earlier this year from the old Piney Point Phosphate Plant in Manatee County. Stephen Corral is retiring as president of the University of South Florida, but will remain at USF as a tenured professor. The decision to step down was based on stress that came with leading the university through the pandemic. He took over in July of 2019, and Corral says the intensity of the past two years has put a strain on his health and his family. He says retirement will allow him to spend more time with his wife and his 91-year-old father. Farmers, ranchers, environmentalists, and politicians gather to celebrate the official creation of the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act, 18 million acres of land that haven't been developed yet. House Speaker Chris Sproul says the bill passed out of the legislature unanimously. What an exciting day uh, for Florida, for wildlife, for the panther, for bears, for our wildlife connectivity habitats throughout the state of Florida. And it's one of those great days in the legislature when you get to pass a bill like this that truly brings together all of Florida, brings together our cattle ranchers, our conservation community, Republicans and Democrats, people who are worried about the future of Florida and what Florida will look like for, for hundreds of years and what it will look like for our children, for our grandchildren. What the governor has done here with the Wildlife Corridor Bill and signing it into law, 
the investments that the legislature did of $300 million will protect that future, protect the future of, of the panther, the bear, their habitat connectivity in the wildlife corridor, as well as the beautification of Florida and the protection of that for our children. Temperance Morgan, who runs the Nature Conservancy in Florida, says passage of the Wildlife Corridor Act showed a renewed emphasis on the environment in a legislature that has a checkered record on conservation issues. We are really happy to be here to celebrate the passage of the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act. Just a tremendous, tremendous win for conservation. And when you partner that with the $400 million we have in the state budget this year for the acquisition of rare and sensitive lands, it is just a truly, truly a remarkable year from a legislative standpoint. And an act like this will not only have uh, tremendous benefits to our natural systems and to the iconic species in Florida that rely on landscapes like these for their, for their survival and to thrive like the Florida panther, um, but it will also have benefits for our communities, for all of us who enjoy spending time out in nature, uh, for our state's ability to adapt to a changing climate, and for our economy. So today is certainly a day to celebrate. Uh, we recognize that land protection is a collaborative effort. It takes, and you've heard that from others this morning, it takes, takes many to make this happen, uh, from landowners, ranchers, the environmental community, all coming, government all coming together to identify these critical lands and ensure they're protected for the future. And Disney Wilderness Preserve, this 11,500 acres that we stand in today is a perfect example. You can look around you today and see a conservation in practice. So this property was a working ranch. It has now been protected and restored. It's the headwaters of the Ever greater Everglades ecosystem, and it can help provide benefits throughout the Everglades ecosystem all the way down to Biscayne Bay. And we're really proud of that. The Nature Conservancy has worked in Florida for 60 years. This is our 60 year anniversary. Uh, we've been working hard on land conservation over these years and we know the importance of funding and, and, and bills like the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act to make all of this possible um, for both our environment as well as for our people. But the real hero of this story is Carlton Ward, a conservation photographer and explorer with the National Geographic Society. He started working on this about a decade ago. I look at the conservation organizations gathered here, friends at the Nature Conservancy, the Florida Wildlife Corridor Coalition, Conservation Florida, so many important partners whose hard work every single day is what gives this a chance. And we're, built, we're building this framework on, on your backs, on your shoulders. It was Almost 10 years ago, I stood in this same place with Mallory Likes Demet and Joe Guthrie, fellow explorers, uh, fellow potentially crazy people, because we, um, we were at the halfway point of a 100-day, 1,000-mile expedition. We began in Everglades National Park, and on day 50, we arrived here at the Nature Conservancy's Disney Wilderness Preserve. This is 2012, and we were out there to prove by our expedition that we still had a connected corridor in Florida that we could all work together to save into the future. I learned so much from that journey. 50 days in, we were still in the Everglades watershed. We hiked, paddled, and trekked for 50 days without hardly leaving the Everglades watershed. And this is a western scale conservation opportunity hidden here in the eastern United States. We have the edge of Orlando and then we have an amazing relatively unbroken connected corridor of ranch lands and public lands that goes all the way to Lake Okeechobee and beyond. You know, Florida, as we've heard, is 
been leading the country in land conservation through programs like Florida Forever and through this Florida Wildlife Corridor Act, through this framework, we will be the national and global example of what's possible for nature and economies together. So I, I thank you for our state. I thank you for our country. I thank you personally because as a father of a three, five, and seven-year-old, you know, I know that they're going to have a chance to inherit a Florida that is um, every bit as remarkable as we're enjoying today. 10 million of the 18 million acres in the wildlife corridor are already protected as conservation land. The state will try to preserve the rest of that land by buying it outright or paying property owners to agree to give up their development rights and maintain the land in its current condition. Time now for your daily calendar of events. The Economic Estimating Conference meets at 9 in the Capitol. The State Drug Policy Advisory Council meets at 9 in Tallahassee. State Representative Dottie Joseph is part of a panel discussing voting rights during an online conference at 1. It's hosted by Stacey Abrams of Georgia and John Podesta, founder of the Center for American Progress Action Fund. The newly created Task Force on Abandoned African American Cemeteries holds its first meeting at 2 in Tallahassee. The First Responders Suicide Deterrence Task Force meets online at 2. And the trustees at Santa Fe College meet at 4, trustees from Pasco Hernando State College meet at 6, and trustees of Chipola College meet at 6.30. Finally today, a Florida man who breached the U.S. Senate chamber while toting a Trump campaign flag has been sentenced to eight months behind bars. 38-year-old Paul Hodgkins apologized in court, saying he was ashamed of his actions on Insurrection Day, calling it a foolish decision on his part. Hodgkins was never accused of assaulting anyone or damaging property, and prosecutors say he deserves some leniency for taking responsibility almost immediately and pleading guilty to an obstruction charge. But they also noted he was carrying rope, protective goggles, and latex gloves in a backpack when he got on the bus in Tampa to head for the rally in Washington. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 